Hi, I'm Koshin Chris Kane, abbot of the Puget Sound Zen Center on Vashon Island, Washington. We're glad to be able to bring you these podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about our Zen Center, please visit our website at pscc.org. Um, I'd like to introduce our speaker this morning, Jonathan Prescott. Um, John is the founder of Wise Caregiving in Anacortes. Um, he helps both family members and professional caregivers. Um, given his Buddhist training and practice, he teaches contemplative caregiving. And I'm Uh, From the website, I can tell you that contemplative care leads with the heart and is expressed with kind speech, gentle care, and patient listening. John is um, a chaplain and also an ordained student of Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh. But today, John is going to speak on a little different topic. Um, He's going to speak, or maybe it's interwoven, I'm sure it is, (laughs) about making friends with death. And so, please welcome him. Thank you all for welcoming me and inviting me. I'm, I'm having so much fun because this is, this is like coming to visit my Zen cousins. <laughs> and uh, I, it just insights are just popping as I'm sitting here uh, seeing how, how we have the same heart with different expressions. Um, uh, you know, in, in the Vietnamese Zen tradition, the Traklam Plum Village tradition, which in which I'm ordained, we do things very slowly. You know, we would drink we would drink two cups of tea in a half an hour. <laughs> I we should do, have warned you. Yeah, right. We would You're do Rinzai. <laughs> that's right. Well, we're actually Rinzai as well. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm the 43rd generation from Rinzai in, in our thread of things, uh, but it's a different expression with the different cultures. So uh, it's. I could talk about that the rest of the time, but I want to get on to what, what I, I came to talk about, which is um, making friends with death. Uh, let me start by reading a poem by Marie Howe. And Marie wrote this uh, in response to an uh, encounter she had with her brother, who was dying of AIDS. The last time we had dinner together in a restaurant with white tablecloths, he leaned forward and took my two hands in his hands and said, I'm going to die soon. I want you to know that. And I said, I think I do know. And he said, what surprises me is that you don't. And I said, I do. And he said, what? That you're going to die, I said. And he said, no, I mean that you are. (laughs) So, you are going to die. Take a couple of breaths and imagine that when you are finished with those two breaths, that you will die. Just feel what that feels like.
Now, if you're a human being, that might have been some panic arising in those two breaths, knowing that you will die. You are not the exception to the rule. Even though you are the most beautiful, the most intelligent, the most important person that ever lived, this still applies to you. And further, on the way to that moment, we will lose everything that we hold dear and everyone that we love. Um, But I want to talk about this as actually good news. So I'm going to read another little bit of a poem here from Ellen Bass, who's a Santa Cruz poet that's just lovely. And she wrote so beautifully about what it's like to lose all the stuff you don't want to lose. Uh, This is from her poem, Relax. Bad things are going to happen. Your tomatoes will grow a fungus, and your cat will get run over. Someone will leave the bag with the ice cream melting in the car and throw your blue cashmere sweater in the dryer. Your husband will sleep with a girl your daughter's age, her breasts spilling out of her blouse. Or your wife will remember that she's a lesbian and leave you for the woman next door. The other cat, the one you never really liked, will contract a disease that requires you to pry open its feverish mouth every four hours. Your parents will die. No matter how many vitamins you take, how much Pilates, you'll lose your keys, your hair, and your memory. So in, in some measure, things are not going to go well for us. Right? We're going to lose all this stuff. But the good news in all this is that the Buddha saw this fear of death, and this fear of loss and aging that we are all going through, as the ultimate energizer of our suffering. And so, so much of his teaching was about pointing us back to seeing this clearly so that we can see beyond this fear of death and we can transform it and wake up from that. So unsurprisingly, Zen gives us some uh, concrete tools. And I'd like to talk really briefly about three of those tools today. Because, you know, we, this, is a, this is a lifelong topic to address, and we've got 20 minutes. So this is like you know, shaving one hair on my head and thinking I, I've got it, my head shaved. It's, it's not quite that way. Um, and since we have 20 minutes, I would really appreciate somebody who could help keep me on track, because I will, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh gives two-hour Dharma talks. And so that's the tradition I come from. Uh, so. But I want to talk about stopping and looking deeply and then responding. Those three simple steps. So the first step is to stop and make space to actually face life as it is. You know, this is something that um, we have a lot of habit energy that pushes us to not stop. Social energy, family energy, human energy, our personal energy. So it really takes a lot of practice. We need to do regular, daily practice to help us stop so that we can actually see what's happening. If we don't do that, we risk just reacting instead of being able to respond. Reacting and responding are different. Reacting, you know, we react our habit energies. But responding, you know, that's, that's a different thing. Response... Uh, it comes from Latin roots that mean to answer. So we can answer instead of just react 
our habits. So we do that with all these practices that, that you know, that you know well. Daily sitting, walking. Having a sangha around us really helps. So I'm not going to talk about those too much because you, you know those. But there's also suffering awareness practices, not just our daily practices, but practices designed to cause us to look right directly at this suffering of end of life and all this loss. Do you use the five remembrances in your, in your practice at all? Mm-hmm. Those five remembrances are, are five really uh, uh, avoid, well, facts we want to avoid, but we do so at our peril. That I will get sick. I will grow old. I will die. I will lose everything that I love. And that my actions ultimately are my only true belongings. I can't escape the consequences of my actions. So these five, these five awarenesses, these five remembrances, bring us back into contact with the actual truth of what it means to be a human being with a finite lifespan because we spend a lot of our energy trying to deny this. A lot of energy. So I trust that you, that you already have a practice that helps you stop. You are so far ahead of most of the people that I work with. You know, that you're, you're doing this. So I'm going to move on. I want to talk about the next step. After we stop, then we are invited to look deeply and look deeply into the true nature of birth and death. That's how we can begin to crack this open. In the sutras, there's a line that comes up often. And the, the line is, transcend birth and death. Often there'll be, a, there'll be a monk or a bodhisattva that suddenly something turns and they're, and they're able to transcend birth and death. Um, so that doesn't mean that that person suddenly began, acquired the ability to live forever. You know, they, they didn't get their ego gratification that will go on and on and on. They were, that means that they were able to see into their ultimate nature, that there was something more about them, that there was the deathless that lives right in this contingent human body. Both transcend birth and death and I am of the nature to grow old and die exist right together in this particular body, in this particular life. So again, we have practices that point us toward this understanding. And, it, and they aren't specific practices um, like you know, the practices for stopping. They are practices that we, we take up over time not really understanding why we do them. But we just do them again and again. And it's like a spiral. You know, here's, this, here's this truth of our, of our ultimate nature that we want to, that well, not want to come to, that it's just there, and we circle close to it in a spiral. And we see something, and then we circle away. And we circle close again. And we circle away. And we circle from I to us. Me to we. Mine. We just keep circling this way. And in doing this, we we begin to inhabit the paradox 
of being both the transcendent uh, true nature of moving through with no birth and death and also being this body that's aging and dying. And the only way we get to do that is to actually experience it. It's not an idea. We can't, we can't gain this idea. This is an experience that we have. And we learn to inhabit that paradox. You know, the description of really our mature spiritual practice is that we can hold two ideas that are uh, maybe opposite each other, a paradox, and that we can hold both of those and from that move in this great pregnant middle way. This, this not being caught in either extreme, but living with both realities at the same time. And that's what these practices point us towards. We can be this particular I while we are experiencing the deathless nature of this life. So the third step, we've stopped, we've made space, we look deeply. And the third step is to respond. And we respond as bodhisattvas. You know, a bodhisattva has a radical awakening. And that radical awakening requires a radical response. Not the kind of, uh, the, not the kind of aspirations or intentions that this individual body can have but the radical response of someone who has seen deeply into the transcendent nature of no birth and no death. We touched those uh, today when we uh, recited the Bodhisattva vows. That was so lovely to uh, recite those with you. Um, As with many things that we did here today, they're just a little different. So I get to go, oh, wow, this is so neat. I get to see it in a different way. Um, I got to sit up here in the teacher's seat not knowing what was going on, and get to practice with beginner's mind. It's just such a joy to receive that. I hope you all get to do that sometime, because it's really great. <laughs> but those bodhisattva vows are really, they're outrageous. You know, they're impossible. They're, they're just audacious things to take on, because no individual can take them on. No individual can ever see it through. How do we save all beings? It's impossible. But we do it anyway, because a bodhisattva sees into the transcendent nature of no birth and no death and responds from that place. It doesn't matter that this particular life is going to end. It doesn't matter. As a bodhisattva, you're working for something much faster from a place that's much faster. Uh, The advantage of being a bodhisattva, which you all are, incidentally, it's not like you're something you have to attain, you're already bodhisattvas, is that you gain increasing energy to do this work. So we spend so much energy holding at bay the idea that we're going to die. And that energy begins to be freed up as we hold it less and less tightly. So that energy gets used in our bodhisattva work in the world. And that bodhisattva work in the world often starts right in here. In, in being present for your own suffering, the fact that you are aging, that you are losing. The bodhisattva starts with compassion. That includes you. And the bodhisattvas leave nothing out. 
You know, Bodhisattva has a beginner's mind because they don't know what to do. I, I can really feel that here. I don't know what to do. So I was enlivened by what was happening. I was, I was uh, drawn forth by the moment and, and was able to respond with what was, what was there. And, and that's what bodhisattvas do. That's what you do in your life as you are facing your own aging and loss. You don't know what to do. You don't know how to solve this problem. You don't even know what's going to come in the next footstep. Right? Now, this one might be your last step. We don't know that. So you have to have a beginner's mind. You have to stop. You have to see. You have to respond. Just like a bodhisattva. So all this is to bring us back to knowing that we will die. This is an important step on the path of practice, to know that you will die. It moves us into non-fear and acting from non-fear. It frees up that energy that we need to be a bodhisattva, to be a compassionate presence to those around us that we serve. If we're, if we're moving from fear, it won't happen. But just like we discussed about paradox, you know, holding two things, we can do this. We can move toward non-fear. But it does not inoculate us from the experience of loss and death in our own lives. Now, I've been with maybe 1,500 people as they died in my work in hospice and hospitals and cancer care. It does not inoculate me from this happening in my life. Not at all. One of my teachers is, um, has been... Uh, she helped start the uh, Zen Hospice Project in San Francisco during the AIDS crisis. And he's just fabulous with this work. Uh, teaches, teaches the people who teach the people how to do this. And uh, he was giving a talk one day, and he had a heart attack. And, and went, went to the hospital... As he described it, he was the worst patient ever. Um, he was trying to tear out all his tubes and IV lines. and He couldn't even find his breath. He'd been meditating for 40 years. And he couldn't find his breath until someone came and breathed into his ear and gave him their breath so he could find his way. There is nothing about doing this that inoculates us from those experiences. In fact, one of the things I've noticed in the work I do supporting caregivers, often we feel it more acutely than others because our heart is open. And when our heart opens to the beauty and the joy, it also opens to the pain. There is no way to partly open your heart. An open heart is an open heart. And it takes in pain as well as joy. But this still is important work knowing that you are stepping into great pain and suffering when you do this work. It's still important. You have no choice. You know, when you stepped through the door here, and when you stepped into your practice, you, you entered the river, and you cannot go back. It's too late. It's too late. There was a story about a, a, a Dharma teacher some years ago that was showed up late. To, and he was chronically late to his talks. A couple of hours late, I think. And he walked in and said, um, if you want to leave, leave now, I'll give you your money back. 
Because once we start, you won't be able to leave. And I think you've all long ago entered the door and you can't leave. So we don't try to inoculate ourselves against this experience. That is clamping down. And this practice is not about clamping. It's about opening up. So I'd like to end with another poem by Ellen Bass and then open it up for discussion because there's a lot of wisdom in this room and I'd love to hear it. So this is a poem called If You Knew. What if you knew you'd be the last to touch someone? If you were taking tickets, for example, at the theater, tearing them, giving back the ragged stumps, you might take care to touch that palm Brush your fingertips along the lifeline's crease. When a man pulls his wheeled suitcase too slowly through the airport, when the car in front of me doesn't signal, when the clerk in the pharmacy won't say thank you, I don't remember that they're going to die. A friend told me she'd been with her aunt. They'd just had lunch, and the waiter, a young gay man with plum black eyes, joked as he served the coffee kissed her aunt's powdered cheek when they left. Then they walked half a block and her aunt dropped dead on the sidewalk. How close does the dragon's spume have to come? How wide does the crack in heaven have to split? What would people look like if we could see them as they are, soaked in honey, stung and swollen, Reckless, pinned against time. This podcast has been brought to you by the Puget Sound Zen Center. Thanks so much for listening. To learn more about our community, you can visit our website at pszc.org.